0: All aboard, and welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll Time Machine. We know you got a lot of choices out there for your time travel needs, and frankly, we are so darn happy you chose us. Please remember to keep at least two meters away from other time travelers, and if possible, refrain from breathing on other people as well, unless you are wearing a mask. It looks like we're about to head out, so buckle up, book nerds. Welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll Time Machine. Welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll Time Machine. This week, we have a literary delight in store for you with all three of our historical figures being authors. First up, we shall take a trip back in time to the dark days of Victoria's reign where Charles Dickens sought to portray the very best of society through tales that still captivate today. We're all familiar with the phrase, please, sir, can I have some more, sir? Well, in fact, on Rock and Roll Time Machine, yes, you can. We are staying in the same time frame to meet rather eccentric people. Another one being Hans Christian Andersen. He's a Danish author, fairy tale creator, and little-known frenemy. Charles Dickens. That's just a little taste of what's coming up. He was also a busy man. Anderson penned over 160 stories, many of which we still read and watch today, including The Emperor's New Clothes and The Little Mermaid. Last up is Beatrix Potter, famed for bringing various woodland creatures to life through her beautifully illustrated and quaint writing style. So in the words of Peter Rabbit,
1: We cannot stay home all of our lives. We must present ourselves to the world. We must look upon it as an adventure.
0: An adventure that begins with some rock. Huffman Dickens was born on February 7, 1812, in Portsmouth, on the southern coast of England. Dickens' father, John Dickens, was a naval clerk who, much like Delboy from the show Fools and Horses, imagined that one day he would be a millionaire or at least very rich. Charles's mother, Elizabeth Barrow, had admirable ambitions to be a teacher and a school director. Although his parents tried their best, the family remained poor. Despite this, Dickens' early family life was a happy one. In 1816, they moved to Chatham in Kent, where young Dickens and his siblings were free to play in the countryside and explore the old 12th century castles at Rochester, which is one of the best preserved stone towers in England. In 1822, the Dickens family moved to Camden Town, today a vibrant hub known for its alternative clothing and Sunday brunch. In 1822, it was one of the most impoverished London neighborhoods. By then Charles's family's financial situation had deteriorated as John Dickens had a dangerous habit of living beyond the family means. Eventually, his creditors caught up with him and John was sentenced to prison in 1824 when Charles was just 12 years old. Apart from Dickens, the whole family was sent to Marshall C., a notorious prison for debtors in the east of London, close to London Bridge. Dickens credits this with the moment that his innocence in childhood effectively ended as he was forced to leave school and sent to work at Warren's Blacking factory. A rundown, rodent-filled factory, Dickens earned six shillings a week, labeling pots of blacking, a substance used to clean fireplaces. The money was used to help his family survive. With some luck, John Dickens received a family inheritance to pay off his debts, and Dickens was allowed to return to school. The experience left him distrustful of adults, a theme which commonly ran through his work. At 15, Dickens was forced to leave school once again and return to the workplace. This time as a clerk at Ellis and Blackmore Law Offices in London. He found law to be tedious and opted against becoming a lawyer. His next job was a court stenographer. To qualify for that position, Dickens had to learn the gurney system of shorthand writing. It took most people about three years to master the system. Dickens learned it in about three months. Consequently, in 1829, he began work as a freelance court stenographer. This led to work for two major newspapers where Dickens captured life in the commons and with a captivating accuracy another option that presented itself was as an actor a career path that Dickens was seriously considering however he was ill on the day of one of his auditions lucky for us none of these major career paths worked out but they did provide a healthy bank of information context and detail for his larger-than-life characters and settings that captured the dark dirty and delightfully dire times in which Dickens lived. He is considered one of the greatest writers of the Victorian era and still today we watch and read his works with fascination. three songs we've had are 17, Ron Gregory II, and We Have to Move On by The Inhalers. Now it's time for your Charles Dickens Facts. So in September of 1860, behind his home in Gadshill Place, Charles Dickens gathered the accumulated letters and papers of 20 years and set them ablaze in his backyard. Why? Well, maybe it was because he had some fear of the press. He was concerned that his personal letters would be published and details of his life would become public knowledge. What did he have to hide? In 1858, he had a very public separation from his wife, but it was not widely known that he had a mistress, Ellen Turnin. His mistress was an actress, and she was also much younger than Dickens. If his relationship with Ellen were public knowledge, it would have created a scandal, a second inspiration for the bonfire at Gadshill Place could have been because Dickens was at a turning point in his life. The destruction of his private papers might have been his way of coming to terms with Dickens. A mystery we can only really interpret. Fact number two is parts of A Christmas Carol were from a dream. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. This line appears towards the beginning of the novel, and Dickens included this because of a dream. I guess one night he had dreamt that one of his good friends was pronounced to be as dead, sir, as a doornail. With these little turns of phrases and characters pulling him ever onwards, Dickens took just six weeks to complete the novel, which is pretty fast. Fast. Your final Charles Dickens fact was that Charles was in a near-fatal train accident on June 9th 1835. The Staplehurst train accident. The train track was being repaired near Staplehurst. Workmen did not single to oncoming trains that there was a gap 42 feet long in the tracks over a bridge. The train's engineer spotted the problem at the last minute, but it was too late. Momentum carried the engine and the first part of the train across the breach. However, the coaches in the center and the rear of the train fell into the river below. All but one of the first class coaches went into the ravine. That was the coach that carried Dickens, Ellen Ternan, and Miss Turnin While the carriage did not fall into the gap, it was hanging off the bridge at a steep angle. Dickens and Miss Turnin were uninjured. Ellen had only a minor injury. Others weren't so lucky. Ten people were killed and about 50 were injured. Once Dickens helped the Turnins from the coach, he went about the work of assisting his fellow passengers. He retrieved a flask of brandy from the train as well as a top hat. He filled the hat brim with water and then did what he could to aid and comfort the injured. Later he said that the scene was unimaginable. (laughs) Once upon a time, in a land of wooden shoes and delicious pastries, there lived an author who was afraid of mediocrity and being buried alive. They called him The Hans, and he wrote stories about little fish people. The Hans didn't know it yet, but one day, his dreams of inspiring a theme park in Shanghai I'm true. Andersen was born on April 2nd, 1805 in Odense, Denmark. Hans Andersen Sr. died in 1816, leaving his son and wife Anne-Marie all alone. While the Andersen family was not wealthy, young Andersen was educated in boarding schools for the privileged. As a result, there has been some suspicion surrounding Andersen's education, even giving rise to an unsubstantiated rumor that he was an illegitimate member of the Danish royal family. Anderson's work first gained recognition in 1829 with the publication of a short story entitled A Journey on Foot from Holman's Canal to the East Point of Amager. This was followed by a play, a book on poetry, and a travelogue. Anderson's talent won him a grant from the king, allowing him to travel across Europe and further develop his skills. A novel based on his time in Italy, The Improvisatore," was published in 1829. 1835, the same year Anderson began producing fairy tales. At this time, Anderson's famous fairy tales were overlooked by his contemporaries, including such classics as The Little Mermaid and The Emperor's New Clothes. In 1845, English translations of Anderson's folktales and stories began to gain attention of foreign audiences. Anderson formed a friendship with our previous historical character Charles Dickens, whom he visited in England in 1847 and again a decade later. Anderson's stories became classics and had a strong influence on subsequent British children's authors, including the creator of Winnie the Pooh. It is said that Andersen also influenced Beatrix Potter, the creator of Peter Rabbit and Friends. Over time, Scandinavian audiences discovered Andersen's stories, and from there, they reached as far as the United States and Asia. Generationals and RAC. Now it's time for your Hans Facts. Fact number one. In 2006, an amusement park in Shanghai opened based on Anderson's fairy tales. Very loosely based on his fairy tales, but shows the extent to which children worldwide love the classics he created. Number two, Anderson had a lot of phobias. He was afraid of dogs, he didn't eat pork because he was worried he would contract a parasite that can be found in pigs. He kept a long rope in his luggage while traveling in case he needed to escape in case of a fire. He even feared he would be accidentally declared dead and buried alive. So before bed, each night, he propped up a note that read, I only appear to be dead. Fact number three, Anderson met his literary hero, Charles Dickens, at an aristocratic party in 1847. They kept in touch and a decade later, Anderson came to stay with Dickens at the British author's home in Kent, England. The visit was meant to last only two weeks at most, but Anderson ended up staying five weeks to the dismay of the Dickens family. Anderson was also prone to tantrums. At one point, throwing himself face down on the lawn and sobbing after a particularly bad review of one of his books. Once Anderson finally left, Dickens wrote and displayed a note that read Hans Anderson slept in this room for five weeks, which seemed to the family for ages. Dickens stopped responding to Anderson's letters, which effectively ended their friendship.
2: The, the boss in the back man.
0: to tell you about an amazing lady who, from early childhood, loved to sketch birds and animals, inspired by her early holidays in the magical land of the Scots. Her adventures there would take her to the Lake District, and to a beloved world of her own. A happily ever after indeed, dear listener. In the minds of children everywhere. Signed, Ryan. Helen Beatrix Potter, known as Beatrix, was born on July 28, 1866 to Rupert and Helen Potter in Kensington, London. Beatrix was encouraged from early on to draw, and she spent many hours making intricate sketches of animals and plants. This revealed an early fascination for the natural world, which she would continue to have throughout her life. Although she never went to school, Beatrix was taught by a number of governesses and an art teacher. Beatrix was an intelligent and industrious student. Beatrix used two of her pet rabbits as models for her illustrations. Her first rabbit was Benjamin Bouncer who played buttered toast and joined the Potter family on holidays in Scotland, where he went for walks on a lead. Benjamin was followed by Peter Piper, who had a talent for performing tricks, and he accompanied Beatrix everywhere. During the summer, Beatrix and her family traveled north to spend three months in Scotland. This was Beatrix's favorite time of the year, as she was able to explore the countryside. She also learned to observe plants and insects with an artist's eye for detail. Beatrix's earliest stories that of Peter Rabbit, came from a picture letter originally sent to Anne Moore's son, Noel. Anne Moore was one of her most beloved governesses as a child, and they remained close. After being rejected by several publishers, Beatrix decided to publish The Tales of Peter Rabbit herself, printing an initial 250 copies for her family and friends in December 1901. The book's instant success encouraged Frederick Warren & Co., who had previously turned it down to reconsider their decision, offering to take it on as long as Beatrix re-illustrated all the pictures in color. On publication in October 1902, it was an immediate bestseller. The following year, Beatrix published The Tale of Squirrel Nutkin and The Tailor of Gloucester with Frederick Warren, and the rest of her legendary tales followed. Income from her books enabled her to invest in farmland, including Hilltop Farm in the Lake District, which would become a feature in many of her tales. Beatrix developed a relationship with William Helis, a solicitor who assisted her property dealings. In 1912, he proposed to her and after marriage in London, they lived together at Castle Cottage, in their beloved Lake District until her death in 1943. Beatrix met the founder of the National Trust, Hardwick Ronsley, when she was 16 on her first visit to the Lake District. She was greatly impressed and this led her to her lifelong commitment to the National Trust. She followed its principles in preserving her buildings and farms in keeping with the rural culture of the area. And she saved many farms from developers.
2: I'm out of time Take me far away I wanna feel a little closer. I can hear
1: this in
0: Those two bands were VHS Collection and Silver and Gold. Now for your Beatrix Potter facts. Number one, Beatrix was initially betrothed to a Norman. At first, his proposal was opposed by Beatrix's parents as he worked in trade. They were engaged in 1905, but devastatingly, Norman died of leukemia just a month later. Beatrix would seek solace in the Lake District to ease her pain of the loss. Beatrix Potter fact number two. In addition to her publishing, Beatrix was keen to license her own creations. And it was she, rather than her publishers, who pushed forward these ideas. She designed and created the first Peter Rabbit doll herself in 1903, registering it immediately at the Peyton office, making Peter Rabbit the world's oldest licensed literary character. Fact number three. Beatrix developed her own theory on how fungi spores reproduced and even wrote a paper. The paper was initially rejected, but later presented to the Linnean Society of London by George Massey, a fungi expert who worked at Kew Gardens. As a woman in the 1890s, Beatrix was not permitted to present papers herself. Although the paper was never published, scientists still recognize her contribution today. Well, that's it for this episode of Rock and Roll Time Machine. I want to thank you guys for tuning in, and our last song of the hour will be Old Zine by Matt Macy. Happy New Year. <laughs>